Grace and peace, everyone. There we go. <laughs> it is good to be together tonight. Happy Advent. Um, trusting that this season that we put ourselves in a place where we are prepared to not just celebrate Christmas, but to help other people to experience the reality of Christmas in their lives as well. It's good to be together, whether you're here with us in the room or joining us online. Uh, welcome. Pastor Kurt is back. Yay. Yay. We missed you the last couple of weeks, and so uh, glad to be back together. And uh, Tonight, as we uh, continue uh, journeying with Jesus to the uh, peoples and places that he interacted with, we're going to the big one tonight. Uh, we're going to Jerusalem. And uh, next week, um, we're having our meeting at 6 after we, while we're eating. Then we're going to go outside for a special treat. And then we're going to come back in here. Uh, and we're going to talk about Bethlehem uh, next week. And so Jerusalem and Bethlehem back to back. It's going to be great. So as we prepare our hearts for our time together tonight around God's word, we're going to pray together Psalm 125. And uh, this is one of the uh, Psalms of Ascents. Um, three times a year, uh, people outside of Jerusalem would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to uh, celebrate uh, the three traveling festivals. And as they went, they would sing and pray these psalms, these psalms of Ascents. There's 15 of them. Uh, Psalm 120 to 134. And so Psalm 125 is one of the psalms that Jesus would have sang as he was making his way to Jerusalem. Isn't that cool? That we can actually know a song Jesus sang. So let's pray that together tonight. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Lord, Yahweh, do good to those who are good. To those who are upright in heart, but to those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish them with the evildoers. Peace be on Israel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to tackle Jerusalem. We're... Rapidly, as he said, approaching the end of this study, which is kind of sad. Uh, we started in Galilee, where Jesus was a little boy, and we're coming now way down south to Jerusalem, where he will die. He also will be born again, uh, but Jesus is very aware throughout the Gospels that Jerusalem will be his ending place. And you see him reflecting a number of times, uh, when I go, when it's my time, uh, Jerusalem. As Steve said, he's been traveling to Jerusalem his whole life. Uh, we have episodes when he was much younger. And it's it's hard. I, 
to try to capture all that Jerusalem would have meant to him, all that Jerusalem, I think, still means today. I about blew my head up today trying to think, how do I get all this stuff in there? So I finally just let myself off the hook. Um, this is an introduction to Jerusalem. We're not even going to really touch the surface. But I am going to try to help you feel the city, feel what it would have been like uh, to walk with Jesus from um, Galilee region uh, down into Jerusalem and what the city would have looked like in his day. Obviously, uh, Jerusalem is like no city on earth. No other city can claim God as a resident except for Jerusalem. I mean, when God built a house for himself, uh, there's only one place he picked, and that's Jerusalem. To say that he lived in a city is extraordinary. But then he sort of doubles down, right? And not only did his name reside in the temple, did his presence reside with the Holy of Holies, but he walked through that city. He taught in that city. Some of greatest teachings that comes out of Jesus come through Jerusalem. Uh, he will die there, and he will be resurrected there. There's no place like it on the planet. Circumcised I'd, there? Hmm? He was circumcised, he was circumcised there? there. Yeah. yeah. It's... It's big deal. And I've been blessed over my life to visit a lot of ancient locations and a lot of great places to see on our planet. I visited a few that were not so great too. But you always wonder, is it going to live up to the hype? You know, as a little kid, I had pictures of the pyramids in my bedroom. And they had these great clouds flowing past the pyramids. And it was the most mysterious, wonderful thing you ever saw in your life. And then when I got there and looked at the pyramids, I realized it was smog. My whole life, I thought it was this mystic cloud. It's just the pollution is so bad in Cairo. So you know, it was kind of a letdown, really. Um, so I always wondered when I went to Jerusalem, is it, is it really going to be that? Is it really going to live up to the hype? And you know it does. It doesn't disappoint. So I hope tonight we can start the conversation. We'll have occasions to talk about it more. Uh, Hopefully one day, God willing, uh, we'll be able to see it together, and it'll make uh, some kind of sense. All right? Let me start with some geography. Uh, First giving us a slice of the mountain range that we're going into. Remember, Jesus has two roads that he can take coming Um, from the north to the south. He can take the direct express route of three days, but that takes you through Samaritan territory. And he doesn't do that often. It's a little rough. It's a bad neighborhood. You tend to get robbed. Uh, So Jews will spend an extra two days skipping Samaritan territory. But when they do that, they have to go down into the Jordan Valley. And let me me show you. I think it's our first slide. Uh, This is is no small feat. So... uh, I hope this works tonight. You can tell me afterwards. I've got a lot of maps and I'll try to get you triangulated here. But uh, So we're, we're looking from east to west. That V shape is where Jesus is traveling. <clears throat> Down at the bottom of the V section is the Jordan River. And then that'll lead into the Dead Sea. So when they're coming out of the north from up there, they've got to go down into this region, travel here, and then you get to Jericho, which is the ascension up into Jerusalem. And it's leg day. Uh, You've got to burn those legs getting up the hill. I've driven in a car up that hill and I got tired. (laughs) 
I mean, it is, it, Jesus had some calves on him, let me just say. Uh, moving up here in Jericho, this is not for the faint of heart. Very, very steep. But this is the region that they're going into, these Judean central mountains. So very desert, dry area. But these mountaintops are just chock full of history. So does this kind of make sense? You have, you know, sense where we are? Now let me try to show you these mountain ranges if we were standing in this area. So looking across all these mountains, what he would begin to see as he comes into Jericho, which is, is our next. So here are all the mountains as he looks come, coming again from the Jordan Riverside into, into Jerusalem. Now we find Jerusalem pretty quickly, right? How far is it from Bethlehem? Not too terribly far. You definitely can see Bethlehem from Jerusalem. Not a problem. Jerusalem is not even the highest peak, right? Uh, Far up north, uh, where he's from, they have Mount Hermon, uh, where there's actually snow. Um, For a good part of the year, there's a ski resort in Israel. It's the only one place, Mount Hermon. Uh, So if you want to ski in Israel, that's where you go. So here's the test. If you're... At Mount Hermon, and you're going to Jerusalem, are you going up or down? There you go. You're always going up. You're always. Jerusalem is the center of the world. Yep. I call it Tulia, but you know what? (laughs) Uh, Jerusalem is the center of the world, and so you always go up to Jerusalem. You know, Steve was talking about the psalms they were singing. And one of the reasons they always say go up is because you do, that last little section, right? So one of our professors used to joke that they would sing the first verse and then, (gasps) and then sing the second (laughs) verse. But, you know, in our day and age, you just put the phone on and you listen to your car, you just drive down the road and you don't think about it. But what if you've been walking for five days? And you're actually coming up into this. It's that time of season. So people are all over the road and they're all singing the same songs, the same hymns. I mean, it's one of the things I'd love to go back in a time machine and just just listen. um, How holy that moment really, really was to, to see it. So this is Samaritan territory. Gerizim is where the Samaritans uh, will build their temple. Obviously, he's from Nazareth. But Jerusalem, not the highest peak, but certainly certainly packed through history. So let's do our next uh, slide, trying to move into the city. So now we're overlooking uh, the city. So we're, we're completely above. We're coming in through Jericho, this road, so we've climbed a mountain. Again, this 2D doesn't, doesn't capture it. You can take a little a break and reach the ridge into the town, the Bethany, Bethany, where Jesus often does stay when he comes to Jerusalem, right? That's where Mary and Martha live, uh, so he's got contacts there. But you hit this first mountain. Um, before you hit a valley and then another mountain. So this is the Mount of Olives. Uh, There's a little town there called Bethphage. Um, But Jerusalem, like we've talked about, during the festivals swells from a town of about 40,000 people to a town of probably well over 200,000. 
And so Jews literally are coming from all over the world to be here. There's absolutely no hotel space like we would ever imagine. If you have relatives in the city, they'll take you in. But for the most part, we know people are camping outside of the city. Uh, Particularly popular is Gethsemane, which is this mountain that overlooks Jerusalem. Now, I've heard it described as forested. We'll look at it today. You can describe it. It's like the Midland Forest. Do we have forest of mesquites? Uh, Not really, no. (laughs) So they're olive trees. Olive trees don't get much bigger than uh, mesquites. Uh, They look about like them. So a lot of the time when Jesus is in Jerusalem, he's camping. And that's kind of weird to think about. Uh, He does stay, again, with people sometimes, but certainly at the end, uh, he's camping outside. Um, He's probably not as alone as we imagine, uh, as alone as you are when you're camping. Um, But we'll try to get the feel of this. So uh, the Mount of Olives, and then we go down into a valley, and I'll show you this from other angles, but this is the Kidron Valley. And if Jesus can be said to have a neighborhood inside of Jerusalem, this is it. So much happens in this valley as Jesus is commuting really from the uh, where he's staying into the city itself. Uh, people getting healed, people asking him questions. The whitewashed tombs, and we'll look at them today, are right along here. Uh, the Kidron Valley is just a busy, busy highway um, between the two. And this is really Jesus's perspective of Jerusalem. Dominating, obviously, is the Temple Mount, this whole purple section. Uh, It's what you'll see um, completely from uh, Mount of Olives and coming into the city. Uh, The night that Jesus is praying in Gethsemane, you can see right across to the Temple Mount where, where God's house was. So much history there. There is a water source called the Gihon, which is a spring that comes about right there. It is the major water source for Jerusalem. Um, It's the only uh, spring-fed source they have. Other than that, they rely on cisterns for rainwater. So two valleys. Um, Israel is kind of a peninsula. Uh, So you have the Kidron Valley coming here, and then the Hinnom Valley that sort of cuts around. Both of these will gather together and then head out back down towards uh, the Rift Valley and out towards uh, the Dead Sea. Now this is sort of Jesus' playground. Do you remember Hinnom Valley? What, uh, What is it? Is there a version of hell? Yeah. Well, we'll talk about it, but at the lower section of the old city, that's just map is kind of off. I mean, there's the city of David, which is right here, and then the old city, lower city, which is the poor section, and then the upper city up here. Uh, and we'll talk about why that is. But anyway, the dump for the city is right down here. So people would come and take their trash, and they would throw it off this valley. So the water source is here. I mean, they're smart. They don't throw their trash near the water source. They throw it over here, which is not a water source. It's just when rain comes. Um, but this becomes Jesus's reference to hell, that you take all of the evil from the city, all of the waste and the filth, and it's thrown off the side of the cliff to be done away with. We'll talk about it later, but children were also sacrificed 
uh, in, during the Iron Age down here uh, to the god Baal. And one of the reasons we think the Jews threw their trash um, there was to contaminate the site so that they would never worship Baal again. It was just a trash site. So uh, lots, of, lots of history just in, in this 2D kind of way. But let me try to show you the city itself um, because that's, that's where the beauty begins to happen. So our next slide. Okay, get ready on the pause button. Go ahead and pause. We're going to pause our way through this. This is one of the most extraordinary things I find in Jerusalem, and it's kind of a surprise hit. This is a model of the city of Jerusalem from the first century, from the time of Jerusalem. It's a huge model, and the detail is just amazing to this. A father commissioned this after his son was killed, Israeli father. His son was killed in the Six-Day War. And he wanted his son's life to continue to have meaning. So at the King David Hotel, which used to be the big hotel in downtown uh, Jerusalem, they used to have this set up. It's been moved from the hotel to now it's its own national park. But for Jews and for Christians, the high point of Jerusalem was the first century. So here we have in miniature an amazing kind of feel for what the city would have looked like. This model is not perfect. Uh, Nothing ever is in reconstruction, but it's probably 98, 99% uh, accurate. Uh, There's been some discoveries. So just to get a feel... And, and go ahead and let it just run for a second, but keep your, your finger ready. We're, we're coming from the east side of the city, moving towards the west. So we'll just let it go. Um, you begin to see the Temple Mount coming up in the background. And we're moving. Uh, so hold it right there. All right. So it's a model, right? Not everything is perfect, but... Uh, the people standing up here looking down, they are in basically what is the Mount of Olives. Does that make sense? So there's another mountain here, and remember our map, the mountain drops down into a valley here. So you can't see it with our angle, but there's a valley that runs this side. We'll see it in a minute when they go around. So the Kidron Valley is right there. This is the turn of the Hinnom Valley. So this is what I mean. We sort of have a peninsula effect of Jerusalem. It's very defensible. That's why it's been such a popular city to inhabit for so long. But this entire section right here is the temple. Now, originally, this was a mountain. There was a little mountaintop right there. It's called Mount Moriah. It was where Abraham took his son Isaac to sacrifice him. That was back in Genesis. Now, as you read Genesis, you discover the reason God gave the command to Abraham to bind his son and take him to sacrifice him is because he was trying to teach Abraham to care about something in this world more than he did himself. (laughs) Abraham cared about, number one, himself. Even his only begotten son that he really, really wanted, he was willing, in a sense, to sacrifice him if it was okay for Abraham. So God puts him through this little test stops the sacrifice, makes it clear to Abraham, I don't ever want human sacrifice. It's, it's not on the table. I know a lot of other gods in this day and age are asking for that, but I never do. He provides an alternative sacrifice and begins to teach Abraham that he's a different god. Um, 
I refer you to some of the older Bible studies that we had, but that's, that's Mount Moriah. There was a mountaintop that happened there. When King Herod wanted to build out Jerusalem, he basically built a limestone, if you can imagine, box top. So this whole section is artificial, and it's like they laid it on top of the mountain so they could extend the top portion of the mountain. Before, all you had on the top of the mountain was the temple. But what he does is he expands it on both sides so that it's massive. And this isn't the best side of the temple. Um, remember, Jesus is going to be seeing it from over here. But it, it, really, it really was something beautiful, even if Herod built it. Now, what do you think this thing is? It's huge, isn't it? It is a fortress. It's called the Antonia Fortress. And it's the Roman garrison in Jerusalem. They built the fort with these towers so they can look down into the temple. They can watch everything that's happening. The Jews do not, or the Romans do not want to revolt. They don't want the taxes interrupted. They know religion is usually what gets the Jews worked up. So almost imagine this like a, a, a guard with a gun to the head of the temple. Uh, Jesus will be tortured here when he's beat and his beard is pulled out and all of that. That's exactly where it happens. So again, it's, it's this perfect architectural sign of the times. You have this beautiful temple that's been here uh, in, in various versions you know, since the time of Solomon. Um, just speaking of God's presence. And then right next to it, you have this unseemly Antonia fortress that is just Rome's heel on the, the neck of the people. We're going to pass them here in a second, but there's three towers right here. And uh, that one is most important for us. This is one of the little mistakes that they made. This tower should be a little taller than the other ones. Um, and I'm, I'm told that it is, um, but it's the angle. I, I don't believe it. Every time I look at it, it looks small. Anyway, um, this is the tower to Fasael. This was Herod's brother. Now you have to remember, in 40 B.C., before Jesus was born. Jesus is about 30 or about 3 BC. Uh, so about 40 BC, so a couple decades before Jesus. The Persians invade Judah. And they help the Jews throw out the Romans. So the Romans are pushed out. The puppets of the Romans have to run for their lives. So Herod has to, he barely escapes. The reason he's so paranoid in later life is because everybody was trying to kill him. The Persians were trying to kill him, and the Jews were trying to kill him. He gets away, gets on a ship, and goes to Rome. Uh, the Romans will proclaim him, the Senate uh, proclaims him king, and sends him back with legions, and he will reconquer. But before all that happened, he had to run for his life. They did manage to catch his brother whose name was Fasael, and they killed him. And so the argument is uh, there may have been only one person Herod really loved in the world, and that was his brother. And so that tower was built by Herod for his brother. And again, it's just one of these reminders. You know, in this city of God, we've got this nasty Roman fortress, and then you've got, you know, Fasael's tower, which is in the old city, it's the tallest tower. 
again, just because the dictator's brother got killed doesn't mean we have to honor it. Um, but this is Jerusalem in Jesus' day. So let, let it play a little bit more. We'll, we'll go around. Where's the Western Wall? Uh, right there. Yeah, so go ahead and pause it there. This is, um, and we're kind of at a bad angle, but this is the old city. This is the city of David, and we'll, we'll talk about that more. But again, this is the Hinnom Valley uh, running here, this section. So in the old city, you had this section over here that David sort of builds, and then the city expanded, expanded this way. There was a, a valley called the Central Valley between them, but really the city just kind of jumps over it. Some of the most exciting archaeological discoveries in the last 10 years have been in the city of David. It's a place called the Ophel. And for the longest time, you know, when Steve and I were in seminary, they said, there was no King David. He's like Robin Hood. He never existed. You all made it up. And then we start digging in the city of David. Huh, guess what we find? All sorts of evidence. David's palace, David's this, David's that, house of David. It's all over the place. So I love when God does that to, uh, you know, know it all. Oh, just to be clear, it wasn't our professors that were saying that. It's true. It's true. But it was, you know, the informed opinion. So anyway, I, I, I never let him forget they're wrong. I don't. Anyway, so I think we're going to shift angles, but go ahead and let it play. Um, so now he's coming back around. There's Fasael's temple uh, or tower, and there's the temple itself. And you're getting a better sense of David's old city, which is down that way, and then the, the newer city. So again, he's coming in uh, from east to west. You've got the Antonia. You've got the temple where Jesus would have been seeing it. And here you really get a, a better sense of the wall for the old city, uh, David's city, and then how much it had grown. And that's a pretty good look at the valleys. Um, so this is a very ancient city. Even before David discovered it, it was probably uh, 500 to 700 years old. So that's probably a good place to pause. That's a real good uh, breakdown of the Central Valley there and then David's city. So David's city would just be this section here. The Ophel area I was talking about, they're digging right now, is right there. And then the Temple Mount, which again, wouldn't have been as high as it is in Jesus' day. It just would have been the mountaintop up there. So that sort of would have been the Temple area and then David's city. Do you know... In Scripture, when Jerusalem is first mentioned, it's mentioned a lot in Scripture. It's like 600, I can't remember exactly, it's like 660 times in the Old Testament, 139 in the New Testament. But it shows up almost in the beginning. Remember when Abraham has rescued his nephew Lot uh, from a, a coalition of kings. And Abraham is made off with a lot of loot. And he's headed back uh, to the sort of family homestead. And he runs across this Canaanite. And the Canaanite is a priest, and he's also a king. And he has that bizarre name of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. And he's king of Salem. This is ancient Salem. 
you, you can almost still hear it in the way we say Jerusalem. It's the Selim part. Uh, way back in the Bronze Age, all of this territory was under Egyptian control. And so we still have letters where the Egyptian government was talking about, man, those people are in Salem. They're nuts. They're crazy. They don't want to pay their taxes. They keep revolting. We hate it. But it's this kind of stuff that confirms it was a very, very old city. It was difficult to take um, because of the geography. Uh, The Egyptians did it, but when the Israelites moved into the territory, it was a big challenge. But David, when he becomes king, is looking for a capital that does not belong to any of the other tribes. Remember, Israel was very much a tribal collection, 12 tribes, and they fought together and they fought with each other, I mean, against each other. So, like we picked Washington, D.C. as somewhere between the north and south. He picks Jerusalem because it's in nobody's territory, although it's close to his. It'll be central located, uh, but he's got to get past these city walls. So, let me take you to another slide, um, which is our next one. Uh, so again, this is artist's rendition of Jerusalem, Jesus' day. You've got the Hinnom Valley. You've got uh, Kidron Valley, uh, the temple, uh, the city of David. Uh, you can see it's sort of walled off. Um, the Kidron, or Kidron, the Gahon Springs is about right there. Um, so Israel was, or Jerusalem was pretty fortified, except for the water source. And I've talked about this before, and please don't repeat it when we're in Israel. But one of the things they'll take you to as a tourist trap in Israel is Hezekiah's tunnels. And what they are is they're a tunnel that goes under the city, under this mound here, to come out by the spring. Because if your city gets besieged, you still have to have a water source, right? So they try to build down through the city to come out at the spring. Well, the way they did it, we're told, is they had a group of miners on this side that just started digging that way. And they had diggers on the top of the city just start digging that way. And every day when they would finish digging, they would yell. And they tried to listen for each other. And if they didn't hear each other, then the next day they just kept digging. Now, this sounds like a beautiful fairy tale, right? until you have to crawl those God-forsaken caves. That is the most twisted, miserable hole I've ever seen in my life. A drunk Egyptian wouldn't make something that twisted and terrible. Um, and, and they just love to run tourists through it. So this is how they get water. They may be the most um, you know, spiritually-minded people in the ancient world, but they're terrible engineers. They're terrible. So save yourself the 25 shekels. Don't go in Hezekiah's tunnel. You will hate it. It's miserable. It's claustrophobic. But... David uses what must have been natural caves in order to get in to the city and take it from the Canaanites, making it his capital. And he will expand you know, from just this little section to this massive, massive section. So uh, just to clear up a few things, um, next slide. Uh, let's just skip this guy. He's more boring than I am. Um, Uh, let's skip this. We'll, we'll come back to this. This is looking at the Kidron Valley. Um, skip this one too. Sorry. You guys sort of know where we are. 
trying to save time. All right, so this is City of David that I was talking about. So there's Gihon Springs, Ophel, where they're digging today, Mount Moriah, where the original temple was. And this city, it's not very big. It's maybe 1,000 people um, when David took it. On Jesus' day, it's about 40,000, much, much bigger. So we can go to the next slide. There's a better composite of the temple itself. This is the royal stoa. Uh, which a lot happens here, and Jesus will do a lot of teaching here. Remember, you've got the Antonia Fortress there. Um, This side down here would be the direction that Jesus would see it, uh, coming in from the Mount of Olives. So this is the temple court itself. Uh, This is... um, This area out here is where Gentiles were allowed to come. So if you and I decided to go to the temple, uh, we could march all the way up, and there's stairs. I mean, this is a mountaintop, so you've got to go up. There's stairs on both sides, but you come out onto this, this courtyard area. During Passover... During it was about three, two to three years of Jesus' ministry, the high priest started selling animals in this area um, because it's the only room they had up there, uh, and this upset Jesus greatly. This is the region where the Gentiles could come and worship God, but they couldn't do it in Passover because it was full of animals and the bartering and the trade. So this is the section that Jesus wants cleaned out. So you enter the temple this way. Uh, This is the court uh, for women, basically. Um, If you're Jewish and a woman or Jewish man, Jewish anybody, uh, you can enter this area right here. There's treasury areas where they hold the temple wealth. Uh, Through this gate, you have to be a Jewish man. And we actually have found the sign. There was a sign out here on a marker. It was so delicately worded in Greek. It said, any Gentile that passes this line takes his life in his own hands. Because this is for Jews and this is for Gentiles. So don't, don't come this way. So women could go here. Um, only men could go into this section in here. And then obviously that is the holy place that only the priests can go. And then inside, there's a back room where the Holy of Holies was. And that's where the Holy Ark was, where God was said to reside. And the coolest thing ever, see these gold things on the top? Do you know what those are for? To keep pigeons out. (laughs) But they're gold. They look cool. (laughs) So... Anyway, um, when they they blow the trumpet at the temple, it's right there. It's a big deal. It's the beginning of the Sabbath. But it's just, it's amazing. So that's what it was in Jesus' day. Let me begin to show you what it looks like today a little bit. So we go to the next one. Skip that one, seen it. So, yeah, we've seen that too. So that was in the time of David. Um, so we skip that one. Uh, I think we've talked about all of this, except for I didn't. Let, let me do the next one. Um, no, not that one. Man, I I just see what I meant. There was too much to do. Um, yeah. So this is the Mount of Olives. Uh, So we're now standing in Jerusalem looking across the Kidron Valley here into where Jesus would have been staying, which is up in this area. Is that a forest? Eh, It's not a forest. (laughs) 
it's well landscaped. <laughs> it's not a forest. So one of the things that will shock you about Jerusalem is still the spiritual impact. The desire to be so close to the temple, the desire to be there, uh, it's, it's almost overwhelming. This is the church of all nations. It's a Catholic church, um, beautiful, and it famously has, uh, in this area, uh, olive tree gardens, because uh, they're trying to preserve, right, Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus went to pray. And there's, you guys know, there's a way when an olive tree dies that you take a Nazareth, right? You take another baby olive tree, a sapling, and you put it in the dead olive tree and it revitalizes the whole tree. What happens is that sapling reactivates the root system for the olive trees and the whole thing grows again. Well, monks from uh, this church of all nations have been doing that. And I think the oldest olive tree they have is something like 600 years old. Um, They look like something out of Star Wars because they're all kind of knobbly and weird looking. But again, it's fascinating uh, to see that little bit of Christ working. Um, You begin to see it here, but right across the Kidron Valley, you see it there, and I'll show you an overfly in a minute. There's something like 150,000 Jewish graves. It's the most sacred place a Jew can be buried because it's in view of the temple. And what they're doing is they're burying themselves right by the side entrance of the temple, which is where God enters. Now, there's a lot of prophecies that when Jesus comes through the gate, uh, you know, the, the end will be, be here. Uh, for the Jews, it's the same uh, because that's the place that God returns. Now, when the Muslims took Jerusalem, they bricked up this gate. So no Jew, no Jesus can get through. Um, but the Jews still bury themselves right outside of the gate. And um, I think when Jesus decides to show up, um, he will show up. So anyway, that's that's the Mount of Olives. I love spending time there. My school actually was right over here. There's a Greek Orthodox church, um, or it's a Russian Orthodox, I guess, something Orthodox, uh, right over here, St. Mary's, and then uh, Hebrew University is right up there. Um, so much history. Um, so next slide. Um, so this is the Kidron Valley itself. So again, that's the Mount of Olives. You've got all the incredible churches, Hebrew University, uh, church we're looking at, uh, where the water flows in the Kidron Valley when it is. Um, Jesus talks about the whitewashed tombs, and all along the side of the Kidron Valley are these tombs that he was talking about that they've carved out of the limestone. So our next one. Um, so this is actually the Hinnom Valley. So we've gone out to the east now. And this is where the trash used to be dumped. Um, there's a soccer field there. Um, they've actually excavated uh, babies uh, that were killed uh, in that area. So if you ever want to go to hell, this is it. Um, this is where Jesus, Jesus said it is. But I need to show you one last thing. I think I've got a slide of it. Uh, the lower city versus the upper city. Is that our next one? I don't know. Just show it. No, scripture. Okay. Um, how do I do this? Can you go back to the second video? 
Um, that's the Kidron Valley. It's the Brad one. Yeah, hold that right there. Okay, wait, stop. Um, can you back up? <laughs> okay, stop right there. Okay, do you know where we're at? Can you figure out where we're at? What's that? Temple Mount. Still, it's still there, the bottom of it. Now, what's that thing? It's a Muslim mosque, right where the temple used to be. It's a dome of the rock. Now, obviously, Jerusalem is sacred to Jews. It's sacred to Christians. It's sacred to Muslims. We're all told in media reports it's the third holiest site in Islam. But details, ladies and gentlemen, details. Islam treats Mecca and Medina as sacred places, and then Jerusalem. This comes from a story in the Quran where uh, Muhammad said, uh, I have been to Jerusalem. And his followers said, no, you haven't. We don't. We didn't. We've never been to Jerusalem. We can't go to Jerusalem at this time in seventh um, century A.D. It's a Christian city. It's controlled by the Byzantine Empire. Uh, the emperor of Byzantium is not going to let you in as an Arab to the temple. He's not going to let you in Jerusalem. You have to fight to get there. And Muhammad said, "No, I've been there." It happened the other night, late at night. And there's two different versions of this, but the the most ancient one is that uh, Allah sent a magic horse and Muhammad got on the horse and flew at night with nobody seeing and he went to the Temple Mount. And then he stood there after he got off his magic horse and he floated up into heaven. And then he had a little chat, um, came back down and went back to... um, Medina. So that's Islam's claim uh, to Jerusalem. There's two sacred sites, the Dome of the Rock there. It's got a golden top and it's really gold. Uh, Saudi Arabia did that. Thank you very much. Um, And then the Alaska Mosque, which is right there. But for the most part, this whole section up here is uninhabited. There's trees growing on it, um, which is not probably the best for ancient artifacts. Um, There is no site in the world that people want to dig more than this. I can't even begin to tell you what we would pull out of there, but it is not allowed. It will probably take a world war before that ever happens. Um, So there is uh, Jerusalem. Um, You can sort of see the uh, digs that I was talking about there. We've got the Kidron Valley running here, and so we're moving over to the Mount of Olives. What you're going to start to see in this valley, and what you're doing is taking a drone flight over the Kidron Valley, and I want you to pay attention to these, these tombs. Um, they're graves that the Jews have put up to be so close to this. So just watch. It's, it's absolutely overwhelming. Look at those. They're all caskets, uh, limestone caskets. The number I heard was 150,000, but I don't know if that's accurate. There's just so many of them. And they're stacking them. I mean, it's not just one casket. This is the uh, Orthodox, I think it's, I don't know which Orthodox it is, but it's got gold roofs too. Apparently you got to be somebody to have a gold roof. 
That's Hebrew University. But there's more of the... So that's the Church of All Saints we talked about. And this is actually in the valley looking back up. But see what I mean? I mean, you have Catholics, Jews, uh, Muslims, uh, Greek Orthodox. I mean, you name it. Everybody wants to be in this place. There's the Kidron Valley. Yeah, there's the temple itself again. And that's all of those graveyards. Even before the Jews returned to Israel, they still wanted to be buried there. So that's probably good. Do you have kind of a feel of the city? I mean, I could turn you loose and at least the old city, you could uh, you could find your way around. It really is an extraordinary place. It very much is our history. Um, it was Jesus' present. And as you look at the future, I, I, the story is not done, I think, with Jerusalem. There's just too much uh, that is said to have happened and will happen in Jerusalem. Now, we Christians are a little different from um, Muslims and Jews and our relationship with with Jerusalem. Uh, on the one hand, uh, Jesus' kingdom is bigger than geography, bigger than real estate. Um, we, and we'll talk about it, we have a, a spiritual connection. But on the other hand, we're not totally divorced from it either. Because all this happened. This is a real place. You know, I've been to Disneyland just last week, and Disneyland is fun. You get to see Star Wars and a lot of other stuff. But it's not real. None of it's real. It never was real. This is real. I mean, you can walk down the same trail that Jesus walked. You can see the same thing that he saw. I skipped over it, but there's there's a good part of Jerusalem and a bad part of Jerusalem. There's the low city. Uh, sometimes the old city, and then the high city. And the high city is uh, built higher up on the mountain, and there's this breeze that comes in from the Mediterranean, um, and it's 
it's a prevailing uh, jet stream, but it really, it's like somebody turning on the air conditioner. It cools things down. When you're down on the coast, you feel it about nine o'clock or so in the morning. It takes later in the afternoon before it hits Jerusalem. But the reason they build their houses higher in Jerusalem is um, this breeze will come. Uh, when Jesus goes uh, to have Passover in Jerusalem, what room does he get? The upper room, because it has air conditioning, <laughs> because this breeze will hit and it'll come through. And it, I, I mean, literally, I've been working at a, a dig and you feel it. I mean, it just, it's so wonderful. It's air conditioning. It's hitting you. Um, so the upper part of the city, it gets air conditioning. The lower part of the city, it doesn't get the air conditioning. Um, and that's right where the dump is. So, so much of Jesus's ministry, surprisingly, is in the upper city. Um, so many of the events that we actually pick out that he was doing things was in the upper part of the city. So there's Jerusalem. What do we do with it? Well, let's see. What did Jesus think about the city? Well, he went into the temple and he started turning over tables. Because they had made it, they had made this place, right? This place that was to be called a house of prayer for who? All the nations. And they turned it into a place of personal gain. Then we get to, uh, so he's ticked off, right? It's like the maddest you see Jesus, right? And we get to uh, chapter 20, the end of chapter 23. And he has just gotten through uh, railing over one of these groups that we have studied at, at length, the Pharisees. Uh, railing over them for, for doing stuff like uh, saying, if anyone, sw- this is uh, 23.16. Uh, woe to you, blind guide. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And then, as he continues to rail on, then he lands in verse 37. Matthew. I'm sorry, did I not say Matthew? I apologize. Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. Then he lands there. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. So just feel the compassion. Everybody say compassion. Compassion in his voice. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets. Did y'all see the tomb of Zechariah uh, in the flyover? Uh, Zechariah was killed. Uh, The prophet Zechariah was killed in Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house, your house, not God's house, not my, he says my house in chapter 21. He says your house. Because they had turned it into their place instead of God's place. is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Everybody say, Name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So, Kurt's covered a lot of history, but I want to pull back just a little bit. Uh, back to the book of Deuteronomy. 
And in Deuteronomy chapter 12, and you can just make some notes on this and go read these passages for yourself. But in Deuteronomy chapter 12 and chapter 16, remember Deuteronomy 16 is the commands uh, to go to this place to celebrate these festivals. The place wasn't, when the command was given, the place wasn't established yet. But you remember how the place is described? As a place that God will put his what? His name. Isn't that odd? And as far as I can tell, and I've been thinking about this all afternoon, Kurt, that um, there is only one place that God's name is anywhere associated with the temple. Do you remember? It's on the forehead of the high priest. And on the forehead of the high priest, there's a gold band, right? You remember what it says? Holy unto Yahweh. And his name is connected to a priest, to a person, right? And so here's a quiz. What do the Garden of Eden, the Tabernacle, Jerusalem, and us all have in common? Us in this room all have in common. We are literally the place where heaven touches the earth. Right, And that the temple was to be that place where people went and connected with God. The stories are actually unbelievably fascinating how they landed on this site. David had just screwed up royally. He had commanded a census to be taken against the will of God. And there was a massive out. The, the, the David himself, and this is at the end of 2 Samuel. David says, God says, you could choose these three things for your punishment. And he says, send me the plague. And the plague comes and kills a lot of people. And so there's a prophet. So you who kill the prophets, his name is Gad. And Gad is speaking for God. And he tells David, go and buy a threshing floor. That's it. Where the temple is built is where that threshing threshing floor is. And David built an altar there. And when he did, the people were healed. So get all this pulled together. The name is where? Not on a building, but it's where? It's on a person, right? And then... As we continue, and remember, name is always associated with what, Pastor Kurt? Character. Character. Here we go. Big five. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. That when you go to the temple, that that is what you are to experience. Right? And that on Pentecost, the Spirit, in essence, fills us. Fills the apostles and who passes all the Spirit on to us, right? And that as we think about Jerusalem and what Jerusalem was to be, we, in essence, are an extension of Jerusalem. Except people don't have to go to Jerusalem to experience the presence of God, but they experience the presence of God, the character of God, through us. 
There's a book. It's called The Tale of the Three Trees. Have you read it? Well, if you haven't read it, it's a kid's book. Go buy it. I uh, read this book. You know, this was in my uh, college days when I knew uh, more about everything, and I knew that all of my family needed to get closer to God. And so, you buy your, your family members' Bible. You've done this, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And so, I decided I'm going to gather up my family, all my aunts and uncles and cousins, uh, on Christmas Eve over at our house after the Christmas Eve service, and I want to read them this book. And um, it's a book about three trees that have these dreams about growing up. And the last tree that all they wanted to do is that when people looked at that tree, they would think of God. And you know what that tree becomes? The cross. It's such a great story. But I always carried that story with me because in essence, that is our calling. That was Jerusalem's calling. That was the Garden of Eden's calling. That was the tabernacle, that when you go to this place, that you experience the character of God that you had forgotten since the last time that you were there. So it's this place to go to get close to God. And that that becomes our calling. That that should be our goal, brothers and sisters. That we are so centered in God. That when people leave our company, they will be thinking about God. That's how we are in. I love how how Pastor Kirk talks about us being in partnership with God. And we are the far junior partner, (laughs) right? But we are partners nonetheless. That when people think of you, do they think of God? And that's how we have, that's what we have in common with this place called Jerusalem. So Jerusalem has an interesting place. Like I said, it's not the same for us as Christians. Um, You guys know Paul will go on to say, uh, we, we are the temple of God now, right? Yep. Um, a lot of times we, we personalize that. We think, I am the temple. But the way he said it in Greek means collectively, uh, we are the temple. So it's moved from this place in Jerusalem to us. But I don't think we should forget Jerusalem altogether. See, Jerusalem had this reality. If you wanted to see God, you could go to this place. It wasn't just in your head. And I think that's a mistake that a lot of Christians make. Pastor Stephen, I hear a lot. Well, I'm a very spiritual person, but I'm not religious. I don't go to church. And so you know what I say to them? No, I don't know. You don't want to know. Um, But it's a bunch of crap. Um, God wants to meet us in the real world. God is not interested that you think good thoughts and not do anything. The temple was important because it was this physical place where the spiritual thing was happening. Now, Steve's right. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. I mean, you can have a deep, fulfilled Christian life and never set eyes on that place. But if it was important to the one I love, I should, I think, pay attention to it. There's something about that physical manifestation of our faith that matters. So think about it at Christmas. Can you celebrate Christmas locked in your room by yourself? 
you really can't. Um, even if Amazon brings you lots of presents to yourself, <laughs> it's not Christmas. We have to gather the temple. We have to be together so that God, in a sense, is made real. It's, it's happening all around us. And that's, that's what I pray we never forget. Any questions? We've got one minute. You better pray so. Yeah. <laughs> it's all in his name, um, Yahweh. Oh, sorry. So when Moses asked him, so hey, you know, we called you El, we called you this, what, what's your name? And like Steve said, name is character, name is power. And so he gives us, you know, this eternal name, this this Yahweh, the, the oldest word in all creation. And if you sort of parse that out in Hebrew, it, it is like they translate it, um, I am that I am. Uh, it's it's this constant. And so his answer is how old I am is I, I am that which has always been. Uh, there has never been before me. Um, I am that which is continual. And if you think about an eternal God trying to answer the question of a person, pretty good job, God. I mean, it's it's amazing. So And, and just remember that connection. Whenever God reveals his name to more than just Moses, he says, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. And then the next five words are compassionate and gracious, yes. slow to anger, abounding in love and faithful. So that's what God says is true about himself. And so that's why that's why we talk about God's character a lot. Because most people in the world, when they think of God, they don't think of that, do they? No. Any other questions? You might be interested or horrified to hear the single issue uh, either bringing the Israeli government together today following their new elections or breaking them apart is what to do with the Temple Mount. And so that story is yet to be written. We shall see. Um, We don't need it, but I certainly wish well for that city. Let's pray. Father our God, We thank you that when we failed in the garden, you did not wash your hands of us. You did not tear down the garden because we were failed creations and walk away. You continue to work with us, to teach us. In elementary ways, you taught us to build a tent, a tent that we could always run to our Father when we needed him, a tent that would guide us in the wilderness And when we got uppity and wanted something bigger, you built a stone house so that we could take our sacrifice to you. We could take a reminder of our failure to you. But, oh, Lord, we strayed again, as we always do. And again, you did not wash your hands from us. You came now as a person to speak to us face to face. You came as your own son, who would be the lamb to die for us, that we might have a chance to really feel your love within us. Help us, O Lord, to know that all of this history has been bending its way so that we will be your children again, both Jews and Christians and people all around the world. 
Father God, as we celebrate the birthday we've chosen for you, we pray that we don't miss your spirit within us and the spirit that we find in you, Father, all around us, in our brothers and sisters of long acquaintance or those that we just met. May we really rejoice this year as we are in your house. and It is a house of prayer and joy and service. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Good night, y'all. Praise and peace.